week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at Fansets.com. Fansets. We are Star Trek. A little loneliness, a little romance, and a lot of questions. Short Trek's Episode 2, Calypso, is now official Star Trek canon, and it's time to break it all down. It could take a thousand years to dissect everything we just saw, but we'll try to reel it into just one podcast recording. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. As we prepare for an amazing-looking Season 2 this coming January, we're being gifted with some new mini-episodes every month until then, and with Short Trek's Episode 2 entitled Calypso dropping just recently, we are happy to be back to talk all things Discovery. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about our favorite spore-jumping starship and her crew, and whether it's a full-season episode or a 15-minute short trek, we are here to break it all down, give our opinions, and look ahead to what we think might happen next. And you know, as always, as I say we, well, I gotta tell you, when I feel like I'm stranded a thousand years in the future and have no idea what to do next... He's my own personal Zora to pull me back to reality and put my best foot forward. He's my very special friend. He's my brother in Trek, and he's my funny face, literally and figuratively. He is the one and only Bill Smith. Bill, it's great to be back for episode two of Short Treks. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. I'm not sure. Did you just call my face funny? Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good to be back. It's uh, I'm happy to uh, to talk about this brand new installment of Short Treks, and uh, I, I don't have to dress like Fred Astaire to do it, although I would have. I just want you to know. I'm pretty sure you would have looked pretty, pretty nice. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's great to be back. Um, but in, in addition to being back, it's also great to hear from our listeners about what they have to say about Discovery and this episode two of Short Treks. How might they contact us, my good man? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, of course, hailing frequencies are open, Dan, and we are transmitting friendship messages in all languages, on all frequencies, and even a thousand years into the future. You can discover us on Twitter at Discovering Trek. And on the Book of Faces, we can be found at Facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can join in on the discussion, leave us comments, questions, suggestions to keep us occupied during this hiatus and while we wait for the next short trek. Plus, don't forget, you can also send us voicemail by going to trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button on the right-hand side of the website. Please remember, though, that any comments you could leave us may be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thanks, man. It's uh, always good to hear from our listeners, and uh, we hope we'll hear from you about this episode, too. So let's get right into it. Episode two, Short Treks, Calypso. Let's get your general thoughts on it, man. What did you actually think about this one? Um, after Runaway, we were looking forward to seeing what was next. What'd you think? Well, as you know, I wasn't a, as big a fan of Runaway uh, as perhaps I could have been. And um, I find I'm even less a fan of, of this particular episode. Um, there are some great qualities to it, but it wasn't one that inspired me or or hit me in the feels, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I think Michael Shabon was, was intending to have happen. 
Um, I, I think it's it's got a lot of issues um, on a story level, um, and uh, we can get into that uh, certainly as as the episode progresses. But it um, so far for short treks, I'm over two. I have to say. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I gotta, I gotta agree with you on a lot of what you said. I, I feel bad because I was really looking forward to seeing what was coming up next uh, with episode two, and knowing that Michael Shabon had, had written this one. But uh, I gotta, I gotta stand fast in my on my opinion. Um, I've been reading online since Calypso dropped about the countless positive reviews for for Calypso, and I'm really truly amazed at the amount of positive reviews. I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just, I just didn't really like it. Um, it's probably the first time I have really not been impressed with a discovery episode in any way. Um, and I actually thought runaway was better. And I know that we had some things to say about runaway that were a little critical. So it's unfortunate it's going to happen, but I think that runaway told a better story from beginning mm. to end. Mm-hmm. This one, Calypso, seems more like, and not just a short story, but a short story fragment. There was a beginning and a middle and an end to Runaway. There, was. there isn't really a beginning and a middle and an end to Calypso. It seems very unfinished, and I, I feel like it's something I've seen before, um, if that makes sense. So, uh, But again, you know, it's... Um, it's it's something I'm sure we will get into in the coming moments. I'm thinking. Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, folks, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Short Trek's Calypso, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access, check it out, and come back to our own time period for a great discussion. so dude gets rescued by a ship eats lots of food watches a whole bunch of movies in really cool format falls in love with a computer computer falls in love with him learns how to dance for the computer dances computer cries he realizes that he can't stay there and she actually lets him leave Takes off in a shuttlecraft. No idea if he's going to get where he's going. Ship stays where it is. The end. <laughs> okay. We've talked about this before. You are a wizard. <laughs> a wizard, I must say, at your uh, breakdowns of episodes. And now that we're doing short treks and you're doing short recaps, they're just as good, man. That was that was brilliant. Did you do that all off the cuff? I did. I just did that right <laughs> off the top of my head. And I've only seen this episode once. That's pretty impressive because it was what ten days ago, uh, <laughs> as we record about that. And I only I, I've only seen it once because it's the only one I haven't really felt compelled to rewatch. Yeah, well, well, there's a lot of things to talk about with Calypso, so let's uh, let's start with the good. Um, let's talk about what we liked uh, with Calypso, and I'm going to start off first, Bill. Yeah, and I'm going to say Aldous Hodge as Craft was phenomenal. He was great. Whoever cast him in this role was perfect. And I'm really, really bummed out that this short trek took place a thousand years in the future because I really wanted to see this guy as a regular starting with season two of Discovery. It's probably the one aspect of this episode that I actually loved, and it was his portrayal as Kraft. And it's kind of it's kind of as one of the reasons why I didn't like it as much, because this is probably the only time we're going to see him, at least that I can figure. No, I agree with you. I, I am a big fan of Aldous Hodge. 
He's great in pretty much everything he's in. And I like that he actually creates a character that we can relate to in just under 15 minutes. You know, it's hard to do in, in this format. I mean, uh, obviously in, in Runaway, we had Tilly, whom we could already relate to. There was Poe, and, and whether or not we could relate to her, I'm not really sure. But Kraft is somebody that we could identify with right off the bat because mm-hmm. he falls in love. And, and what person doesn't love the idea of being in love? I love you, Bill. <laughs> but uh, we'll just move on from there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't think you would have anything. Um, let Let's. I won't go through my whole list. Let's go back and forth. What was uh, one of the first things that you uh, marked down as a definite like for this episode? One of the things I really like about this episode is the nod to actual science fiction. Um, this story is something that looks like it could be ripped out of a sci-fi anthology series. Um, and in fact, uh, if, if I didn't know any better, um, I would think this was a brand new episode of a new CBS all access series because there's not necessarily a whole lot of star Trek as a part of this episode, aside from the discovery. I thought it told a, a decent remnant of a sci-fi story, uh, one that the viewer could actually buy in on and, and explore some interesting themes. So I think it does have that going for it at the very least. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting because that's going to be something I'm going to talk about later when we talk about things that we may have particularly not liked about this episode. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Um, for me, the next thing that I really liked, and I'm going to try my best, and you know how I am with pronunciations, Olatunde Osunsanmi, the director of this episode. We have seen him do episodes in season one of Discovery, and we loved everything he did. I got to say... This episode, his direction was awesome. I I really think Olatunde could direct a movie about paint drying and we would probably like it. I mean, it's just so close to flawless. And and I, I seeing this, even though I'm not a fan of this episode, makes me look forward to what we're going to see if he does any direction in season two. Uh, this is actually my second uh, like of the episode as well. Tunde does a great job with this episode. Um, it, it's visually gorgeous mm-hmm. it's paced incredibly well and this would i think this is an episode that would be very easy for it to to drag or or to maybe have the wrong pace but i think that that he struck a nice balance here with what he was given to work with and visually it's just it's it's a feast for the eyes it it mm-hmm. truly is i uh, i can't credit him enough with how well this turned out at least as far as direction Right. And I think that's one thing that we have, I don't know if taken for granted is the right word, but we've been talking about the visuals of Star Trek Discovery since the opening scene of season one. And um, I will say on a positive note for Calypso, those visuals don't change here. We don't see a lot of external shots of the Discovery, but the ones that we do see are absolutely stunning and gorgeous as they have been throughout. Um, And that kind of brings me to my third like of this episode, and that's actually the scenes that we saw on the bridge of the Discovery um, with Kraft and the computer and the holographic movies. It was really cool for me to see the bridge with no activity on it and barely any consoles lit up and the dust and stuff like that. I really thought that that made for a very interesting way to let the fans see the ship in a way that we normally wouldn't see it. I think that's 100% true. I um I have to say I, I do love the scenes on the bridge. I love that we got to see the movie Funny Face from a, in a completely different way. I mean, <laughs> I love old films. I love Fred Astaire. Uh, Funny Face is a great movie, and I, I I think it's interesting that they found a way to incorporate that one 
Yeah. I think it was perfect for the scenes. And um, just the idea of being able to be immersed in a movie like that in the future is something I want right now. So I have to love that. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, what about you? What do you have for your your third like, if you have a third like? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to assume anything. <laughs> uh, the funny Face was probably my third like, simply because it just okay. does tug on my heartstrings a little bit. I, um, I appreciated that in the development of craft that they had him do something to please Zora. And I thought that that was very interesting. I mean, in, in artificial intelligence stories, we sort of take it for granted because it's usually sort of one sided. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, you know, the love is kind of mutual. And I thought that it was nice that he did something sweet for Zora. So I thought that was a really interesting character. note. it was a, it was a part of this episode. I liked very much. Okay. Um, one little thing that I liked before I get to my, my final, uh, big, like, uh, I thought the tear scene, um, when they, after they danced and he left the bridge was very powerful, powerful emotion wise. It really surprised me. And if I remember, if I recall correctly, when we talked, you didn't actually notice that the first time, um, uh, until I, until I mentioned to her, I might be, I was talking, I might've been talking to somebody else at work. I think that's what it was, but, um, that was really surprising for me to see the computer shed a tear after uh, Kraft left the bridge. I really thought that was kind of cool. No, I agree with you there. And it was me. Um, oh, was it you? Okay. Yeah. No, I happened to have my head down at the time because I was I was taking notes per se. And, um, uh, you know, I did rewind it after that and notice that that, that was the case. But I, um, I, I thought it was a, a very subtle thing in, in hindsight. And I, I did at least appreciate that aspect of it, even yeah. if I didn't necessarily like the way the episode turned out. Right. Well, the last thing that I wrote down in my notes for what I liked about this episode was, I don't want to sound like the guardian too much, but the question, (laughs) Can, can we love a machine? I thought that was very interesting. I thought it was a great way to portray that question in this episode. Now there's going to be answers up and down the spectrum as to whether we can, but I did like the way that this was posed in the story. I thought that was kind of cool. So that's the last thing that I had for a like. No, I agree with you. And and while this episode doesn't have a lot of Star Trek in it, that is one element that is really Star Trek at its core, that sort of examination of humanity. You know, uh, can we evolve to the point where we love a machine as much as mm. we could love a person? Um, uh, I think that's an interesting element to explore. I don't necessarily know that I I would have explored it the same way. Sure. Because I think we've seen other instances of that in a way in TNG with characters on the holodeck that almost allow for the same thing. And I'm thinking of like Jordy and Leah Brahms, mm-hmm. or at least the Leah Brahms hologram, which is right. essentially just the enterprise computer with a persona. So uh, is it is it an interesting question? Absolutely. Does it speak to the core of Star Trek? It does, even if this entire episode doesn't necessarily. Right, right. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head there. So let's get right into some of the things that we may not have liked about Calypso. And for me, the one that really, it, it just is the, is the main thing and why I did not like this episode and other people may disagree. This wasn't Star Trek for me, even though you just talked about things that are Star Trek about the episode, this was not Star Trek to me. And let me give you an example of why I think that way. This week on Trek geeks, we're doing a discussion about collectibles and in preparing for this discussion, I was watching an episode of um, uh, on Netflix, the episode, um, The Toys That Made Us. Is that what yes. it's called? 
Yes. Okay. And it's an episode about Star Trek. And they're talking about how back in the 70s, after the original series, how there was this explosion of Star Trek toys that came out. And what these companies would do is they would have a tank or they would have an airplane or something like that already in production. They would slap a Star Trek sticker on it and then they would ship it in Star Trek packaging and it's a Star Trek toy. And that just does not work for me. I think that's what this episode was for me. This episode of of Short Treks could have taken place on Battlestar Galactica. It could have taken place on an Imperial Star Destroyer. It could have taken place on Lunar One in Space 1999. It was not a Star Trek story for me. It was a science fiction story for me. And I don't want a science fiction story when I watch Star Trek. I want a Star Trek story. So for me... It just didn't. It didn't hold. It didn't hold it for me because I did not feel it was Star Trek. You know, in a recent interview with CNET, Michael Shabon said that he saw this episode as quote isolated from the vast tapestry of Star Trek end quote. And to that, I say uh, congratulations because you accomplished your goal. Then um, this is so isolated from Star Trek that uh, if it didn't take like to your point, Dan, if we didn't see the discovery we wouldn't know that this was allegedly Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, you know, people are going, well, we know that the discovery now is, you know, going to be seen a thousand years in the future. At some point the crew leaves it. It's part of Canon. Well, we don't know that. We don't know if this is our timeline. We don't know if this is just random story for entertainment. We, we, we have no idea. So I'm going to assume for the moment, it's not Canon. And also because the writer hoped it would be isolated from the tapestry of Star Trek to some extent. Um, like you, I mean, I don't mind some high concept science fiction. Um, and Star Trek has even done that on many occasions, but I expect a Star Trek episode to have more Star Trek in it. And this just doesn't even come close to that. Right. I, um, it, it, it was, it was a little aggravating to me, um, that at one point I looked at my wife, Susan, and I said, you know, it's as if they just wanted to do something with the sets while they weren't filming season between season one and season two. So they just yeah. threw a couple of cameras in threw a guy with some lights and some shadows and tried to make a love story out of it. I, it just was something that I just, I just couldn't grasp onto. Um, that was, that was actually my second dislike was that they just used the sets to use them. Um, I, I don't know. Am I, am I reading too much into it or, or, or what do you think? No, I don't necessarily think you're, you're reading too much into it. I think that it's obviously they're not going to build a whole new set, a series of freestanding sets because they have sets to use. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it on some level. And then if they build new sets, they have to work even harder to identify this as Star Trek to some extent. So, uh, okay. So let's create a story where the discovery is a thousand years in the future for some reason. And the AI just sort of stays there okay bit of a stretch because we don't know how the ai got there in the first place at one point over that thousand years maybe it was because of starfleet maybe it wasn't i don't know but um it just it's it it was a shortcut and i understand that right uh one of the things that i thought about after watching this is i went back and and i was reading interviews uh from conventions and and stuff like that and and Alex Kurtzman, I believe, was quoted at one point of saying something along the lines of, we want to have more Star Trek. Somebody said that they want to have Star Trek all the time, 24 hours a day on, on CBS at some point, on CBS All Access. Um, I don't know if that was him or not, but the idea of more Star Trek. So I was thinking, is this an example of more Star Trek? And is it an example of more Star Trek, but not done the right way? Because we've both had issues with both of these short treks. 
And I'm wondering if trying to do these short stories may not be the way to go for Star Trek stories. That's just me. Uh, you know, you may certainly feel differently about it. No, I, I think on some level it is. It is part of the more Star Trek. Um, and it isn't necessarily recognizable as the Star Trek we know and love. Um, you know, some people are, are using this to say it, it's probably going to be telling about season two. And, and to that, I say, I don't think that's the case. Season two is, is already, is already being produced there. You know, most of it is, seems to have already been shot as far as we know. This really looks like an independent and separate production that just happens to use some of the same sets and some of the same writers. Yeah. So I look at this as just an addition to the Star Trek fabric, even if uh, what Michael Chabon said is true. It's not necessarily part of the tapestry. Okay. Um, the last thing I wanted to bring up about what kind of my dislikes were for this episode, and this is going to be nitpicking Dan, because you know, I tend to do that with some of the details in Star Trek episodes is, is for me, we talked about unanswered questions and in, in runaway, but this episode for me had a lot of open questions that I'm just not sure were a product of, of, of not great writing or people felt that it wasn't important to the story, but we heard that the crew left. That's it. That's all we're going to hear about. We don't know, you know, it's been a thousand years. How is the discovery even able to be powered for a thousand years? Uh, I would think that dilithium kind of wears down after a while. Um, you talked a little bit about the computer evolving. How did the computer evolve? Was it something else? Did somebody install something during that thousand years? And, you know, this is a Federation starship. Did the Federation just give up looking for the ship after a certain amount of time? If there was no nobody reporting back, I, I just, like I said, nitpicky a little bit. But I, these were questions that popped into my mind after the episode aired. And I can't imagine I'm the only person who thought of stuff like that. No, I'm sure. I mean, we have to assume the crew left for a reason. And the AI was there at some point before that because it followed the orders to stay where it was. It didn't, you know, just decide to go off with craft somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we also have to assume, I think, at some point that if they were going to upgrade the AI of the computer, then they probably also upgraded Discovery's ability to power itself with some sort of perpetual or unlimited power source. Because you probably couldn't have one without the other. Or perhaps the computer did it. <laughs> mm -hmm. If the computer has evolved that much, who's to say that it didn't evolve so well that it made the improvements it needed. If it could fix a human being in craft and treat a human being, who's to say it couldn't treat itself? Um, and did the Federation just give up on the discovery? I don't know. Did the Federation give up on the Stargazer? Um, did the uh, Federation give point. up on any one of a number of ships? Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to say. You know, um, who knows what circumstances at which, you know, the discovery finds itself there a thousand years in the future. Um, maybe it's some sort of subspace anomaly type thing. Maybe it's some sort of, uh, of, of alien influence, who knows? But, um, uh, I do understand those questions. I think they're secondary in the scope of, yeah. of some of the gaps in the writing of this story though. Okay. It's funny as you were saying, that's why I like having these discussions because you make me think of things in a different light. Um, the stargazer, perfect example, man. I had not even thought about that. So kudos to you. And as you were talking about the computer evolving, I thought about our friends over at Star Trek Continues and the computer on the Defiant, Tiberius, and how he evolved. So right. poss possible, possible. You know, I, I I look at this story and I just, I, I struggle for trying to figure out what the purpose of it is. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sit there going, uh, okay, um, so this guy could fall in love with a computer. What's, what's the point? Right. You know, I understand it's interesting to examine that question, but there's no real resolution other than he leaves. And we don't know what happens to the computer afterward. Does the computer, you know, pine for the loss of that love? Uh, does the computer decide that it can't go on otherwise? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's known love and then now knows loss. I think that would have been more interesting to extrapolate out and, and at least tell a more complete story. But that's got to be my largest dislike of this episode is the fact that um, it, it's really only part of a story. I agree with you. It, you know, we'll if we want to see that, we'll watch Lost, <laughs> which is one of my favorite TV shows. Yeah. But there yeah. are so many unanswered questions in that show. And I think the same could be said here. There are way too many unanswered questions. And maybe they're not supposed to be answered. But as a Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery fan, I kind of want that. So that's one of the reasons why I just I just didn't give a thumbs up to this one. As we warp into season two, we are thrilled and honored to welcome back our friends at Fansets as the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. You know, Fansets has so many collectible pin offerings for fandoms aside from just Star Trek. I mean, you can get yourself pins from Alien, Harry Potter, or even Justice League, and so many more from the DC Universe. Plus, they are adding new pins all the time, so we definitely want you to check them out. And as a special guess what, uh, coming up in December, there will be a brand new Captain Pike from Star Trek Discovery pin available. So watch out for that. Fansets.com is the address and you will not be disappointed in their amazing selection of pins. Fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. Long range scan of planet complete. So, Bill, as we uh, look at long-range scans <laughs> for this week, it, it's kind of funny because as I was working on notes for this episode, I was actually starting my notes before it aired, just basically from what we saw in articles and what we saw in the trailer and such. And one of the things I wrote for long-range scans was, will Aldous Hodge end up being a regular in season two? <laughs> uh, no. Nope. Nope. I don't think so. Not going to um, happen. And that's... That's a bummer. It really is a bummer because I would have loved to see him because he was f- fantastic. He absolutely was. I um, I, I don't know if there's any long range scan that that really applies to this episode because I, I think it's uh, I think it's almost like a message in a bottle, mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, we've uncorked this, we've read it or watched it in, in this case, and there's not a whole lot more there. It, it tells a bit of a story, and we're left to figure out the rest on our own. And personally, I I could be wrong about this because, you know, we all know my predictions and how <laughs> ironclad they are on Discovering Trek. Right. He says, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I don't think this is going to factor into season two or the, the long-term vision of Star Trek Discovery in any way. I think you might be on that one. I think you might hit that one right on the head, man. <laughs> not going to bet guess, against the house? No? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I guess the only other long-range scan that I come up with jokingly is in a th- long-range scan in a thousand years, Discovery will still be around, and humans will be at war with someone. I can't remember the alien race, but something was going on that, uh, in the future there. Well, we have to assume the Vidrash are part of us, right? Thank because you. at the beginning um, – Kraft is in an escape pod and he's watching Betty Boop cartoons. Well, I mean, that's, that's something from earth. Right. So we have to assume that maybe the Federation and Starfleet has evolved into this, whatever the Vidrash are. Um, Or maybe it's, who knows, you know, uh, perhaps we've been conquered. Perhaps 
Um, perhaps we've evolved into something else over that thousand years for that millennium, but, um, it's, it's tough saying because there's only a part of the story here. Right. And see, that's another reason why I just, I just didn't have the warm feels for this episode. It wasn't Star Trek to me. There was nothing remotely recognizable as being Star Trek, except the discovery, this alien race, the Vidrace you just talked about, never heard of them before. It's just this new thing that got thrown in. And while we do seek out new life and new civilizations in Star Trek, it just, it felt completely separate from the Star Trek universe to me. And that, Alien race is a perfect example. Why? I, I think that we're the alien race. Um, I, I, the, yeah, it, you know, it, and it goes back to the Betty Boop cartoon. Like I said, he's in an escape pod watching Betty Boop. That's from Earth, man. The Vidrace us, and and so we don't know how we get from here to there, um, or or there to here or whatever. So, uh, like I said, th- there's part of a story told here. The part that's here is told nicely. It's there's just not a whole lot of Star Trek there. Yeah, I agree. Well, two down, two to go. Uh, I don't know about you, but <laughs> dude, I am very excited for the next episode of Short Treks because of who it focuses on and who it's written by. Um, so what are we going to be looking forward to in December of 2018, old buddy? You know, Dan, it's like Christmas is going to come early next month. When we return with the next Short Treks installment titled The Brightest Star, which features our favorite Kelpie and Saru in writing by two of Discovery's amazing writers. Of course, I'm speaking about our friends, Bo-Yeon Kim and Erica Lippolt. And Bowie, I'm sorry if I messed up your name. <laughs> My bad. Until then, of course, remember, you can subscribe to Discovery Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even by heading on over to DiscoveringTrek.com. Dan? Well, folks, that's going to be it for now. I still love Discovery. Please don't make me think that I don't think that I don't. I love it. I can't wait to see what happens in the the rest of the Short Trek season and in season two. Uh, and as always, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk Star Trek Discovery. We're going to be back next month to talk a new Short Treks episode with some new insight into our beloved Saru, as Bill mentioned. But until then, here are some words of wisdom from Dr. Leonard McCoy which seems strangely appropriate based on today's discussion. Compassion. That's the one thing no machine ever had. Maybe it's the one thing that keeps men ahead of them. And until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and TrekGeeks.com.